The first college football playoff rankings of the season are a complete joke. Gary Patterson is out at TCU, effective immediately. And what's going on with Dan Mullen in the swamp? We'll discuss that all next. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. And now, after further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. Well, welcome in everyone to another edition of After Further Review. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Jay Smith. And we have been waiting for the college football playoff rankings to be released. I'm sure you've seen them by now. And we're going to spend a good chunk of today's show talking about not just the rankings themselves, but the reaction to the rankings. Because it's it's been swift. It has been swift and it has been harsh. And there are very few people that I've seen publicly defending a lot of the rankings uh, for at least the top teams, right? You know, as you get down into the teens, outside the top 10, it becomes more muddled. And obviously there's not as uh, big of a significance when it comes to those teams and where they're ranked. But the top, you know, eight teams matter, uh, especially the initial rankings. And you could certainly make the argument that this is the worst initial rankings we have seen. You could also make the argument that this is the most, you know, anticipated initial rankings of the college football playoff. I mean, there have been uh, some big upsets this year. Uh, you know, you've got Alabama losing, you've got Clemson losing, Ohio State losing, Notre Dame losing. Lots of big teams that normally are undefeated this time of the year who have all dropped games. So with that being said, you know, these rankings at least the initial ones, were certainly something that a lot of people were going to be paying attention to. And I I was, you know, ready to see where the committee had uh, those teams that had lost. Where were they going to put the undefeated teams? What was the initial landscape going to look like? And although I'm sure you've probably seen the top four, right? You've got Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, and Oregon. Right now, those are your top four. Let's go ahead and run through the top 10. All right, let's let's do the top 10. So again, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, Oregon. Right now, those are who's in. And then your first two out, Ohio State and Cincinnati. And then to round out the top 10, you've got Michigan, Oklahoma, Wake Forest, and Notre Dame. You got to think for the top 10 teams, those are really the ones that are going to have a realistic chance at making the playoff. I mean, certainly, right, if you're if you're Wake Forest, the chance is, is basically non-existent. I mean, they're they're in there at nine. They're they're currently eight zero. Now, if if they were to go undefeated and win the ACC championship and be thirteen and zero, you know, it's it's really a tough situation for a team like Wake Forest because you could make the argument here. You could make the argument that Wake Forest is being disrespected more than Cincinnati. And we will talk about the Bearcats in a second. But you could make the argument Wake Forest 
is being more disrespected than Cincinnati because if Wake Forest's name was Clemson, they would be second or third right now, right? They wouldn't be above Georgia because Georgia has played like the most dominant team in the country. And this is a hypothetical, right, where Clemson and Georgia hadn't played each other. But if, if Wake Forest was Clemson and had Clemson's name and that Paul next to it, they're a top three team. They're certainly in the top four. It's no question. Clemson's been inside the top four, you know, almost every ranking. This is the first college football playoff ranking that does not feature the Clemson Tigers. All the way back to the beginning of the college football playoff era in 2014, there are now just two teams that have been in every single college football playoff ranking since its inception, and those teams, as you might have guessed, are Alabama and Ohio State. But again, you know, for Wake Forest sitting there at nine, they're eight and zero, and they're probably wondering, "Geez, what do we have to do? What else?" Do we have to do? We've, we've played our schedule that was presented in front of us. You know, some games have been close, like the Louisville game, the Syracuse game, but we've trounced other teams. You know, shut down Duke, played very well against Virginia and Florida State. You know, scored 70 against Army. Now, they'll still have opportunities to prove themselves. Uh, NC State at home on November 13th, and then a trip to Clemson, which is not going to be easy. As as bad as Clemson has been this season, and make no mistake, they have been terrible, the Tigers still own the longest consecutive home winning streak in the country, right? 32 games. So beating Clemson at home is still a very, very difficult challenge. No matter who you are, the Tigers always play well in Death Valley, but you got to think if you're Wake Forest, right? You're sitting here and you're going, okay, we're 8-0. We're, we're atop the Atlantic standings. You know, the NC State game is basically going to determine who represents the Atlantic in the ACC championship game. You know, NC State 3-1 in conference play, Wake Forest 5-0. Clemson down there in third at 4-2. At Everybody else is underwater, below 500, so that's there's three teams in the mix, and there's just too too much that has to happen for Clemson. Uh, you know, you need NC State to drop two more conference games, so it's really a two-horse race between the Demon Deacons and the Wolfpack, and it will likely be determined on that November 13th date. And if the Wake Forest Demon Deacons get through that game and they take down Clemson the week after, which let's say they end Clemson's home winning streak, how would the how would Wake Forest not be a top five team at that point? How would they not jump Michigan and Ohio State and Oregon? You know, it's it's really odd that the Demon Deacons are so low. They're the lowest ranked undefeated team the lowest-ranked undefeated team, and they've looked more impressive than Oklahoma for most of the year. Again, these rankings are, in the top 10, they're a complete joke. I mean, this is making a farce of the sport, putting a team like Wake Forest that's 8-0, that's played really impressive week after week at 9, and putting, you know, a one-loss team, you know, four one-loss teams above them and a one-loss team like Alabama, 
whose loss was to an unranked team at two. But we, we, we will get to Alabama. We will get to Cincinnati. We're starting at the bottom. We're starting at the bottom. I don't have many qualms about where Notre Dame is at 10. I think that's a that's a pretty good ranking for the Irish. They're 7-1. And, and, and being in the top 10, I think, is where they ought to be. But Wake Forest just got absolutely ignored. They're an afterthought. They're not even a footnote. You know, they need five different teams to shift for them to even have a chance at making the playoff. Now, games will be played. We've talked about how back-heavy the Big Ten schedule is in November and how many games are going to be head-to-head where teams are going to lose. If Wake Forest, if I'm Wake Forest right now, I am concentrating on cleaning out the rest of my schedule and performing well in the ACC championship game, which you've got to think is probably going to be against a Pittsburgh team that will likely be ranked. Likely they'll be ranked. That would that would give Wake Forest a nice resume booster. And I just don't I just don't think a 13-0 Wake Forest team isn't a top five team. Now, will they compete in the playoff? That is not what we're discussing. That's not that's not the topic of this conversation. I think Wake Forest would struggle against certainly Georgia, certainly Cincinnati. I think you got to put Alabama and Ohio State in there just from a physicality standpoint, but they would be great matchups against Michigan State, Oregon, and even Oklahoma. The Demon Deacons are good, and people don't realize that because they haven't watched the ACC all year because the rest of the ACC is garbage. They're absolute garbage. And Wake Forest, again, if they were Clemson, or even another, even if they were if they were UNC, or if they were Florida State or Miami, they are in the top five. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are teams in the ACC that command that status. Clemson, Miami, Florida State, North Carolina. You know, the, you have that middle tier, right, where if like NC State or... Syracuse or Pitt, they're doing well. They're going to get like in the teens, but they're not going to crack the top 10 as easily. Wake Forest, the fact that they're 8-0 at 9 is just egregious. I would certainly have them above Oklahoma, who sits at 8. They're 9-0. Now, Oklahoma's the only 9-0 football team right now. They're, They're the closest out of anybody to making it through the regular season undefeated. At this point, you've got five undefeated teams. Georgia, Michigan State, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, and Wake Forest. Realistically, no more than two of those schools will finish the season undefeated. If I had to guess, it'll be Georgia and Cincinnati. I'm not confident in Oklahoma. I've made that clear week after week after week. Wake Forest, as well as they've played, again, playing NC State won't be easy. Traveling to Clemson, that's not going to be easy. Even the ACC championship game against, let's say, Pittsburgh, that won't be easy. So you got to assume Wake Forest will lose, Oklahoma will lose, Michigan State is a bit of a wild card. I could see the Spartans stringing together a dream season and finishing atop the Big Ten with a 13-0 record, but realistically, I think there's two teams. It's Georgia, who's your national championship pick right now, if you're if you've been watching football, 
it's the Georgia Bulldogs, and it's the Cincinnati Bearcats. And Cincinnati has had a couple of sleepy weeks. These, these last two weeks, right, they haven't been as sharp as we've seen, but Desmond Ritter has the experience. This team has the drive. This team has the chemistry to make a run into the postseason. And they competed last year against Georgia in that Peach Bowl. A few things didn't go their way. They didn't play clean in the fourth quarter, made some mistakes. But ultimately, Cincinnati is a lot better than this sixth ranking. And, and, and you know, that kind of leads us in because, you know, we sort of skipped over Michigan, right, who's 7-1. They're coming off a close road loss to Michigan State. I don't think Michigan is a bad football team, and I don't think they're necessarily overranked. It could have been closer to, you know, that at 9 or 10 spot down there with Notre Dame. But, you know, the Wolverines have played like a good football team this year. They've played like a good football team this year. Cincinnati, though, is where I really am not sure what is the committee see or what are they not seeing that everybody else sees. That's the better question. Because, you know, Cincinnati... Their snub in these rankings to six, that is that's just unbearable. It is it is it's gross. It's gross that, that the Bearcats and the entire group of five just get, you know, discarded. Like they don't even matter. Every single year. We see this every single year. Since the college football playoffs inception in 2014, there has always been this hope. And this is what was sold to us. This was part of the pitch for the playoff. Oh, you'll have an opportunity to see teams from, you know, group of five conferences or, or, or independents or whatever have a seat at the table. That was the pitch. Has that really come to fruition? No. And these rankings, right, this, this initial ranking for this season is a clear indication that the committee does not respect Group of Five. They don't respect Cincinnati. They don't respect Group of Five. And they're willing to put three one-loss teams over the Bearcats, who, mind you, are still number two in the AP poll. And they will stay in the top two of the AP poll unless they either lose or look really, really, really bad. I mean, you know, Things can fluctuate, and they're not rock solid. They're not Georgia. But the Bearcats are so much better than this number six ranking. Uh, you know, this this team this year has the best non-conference record of any undefeated group of five team ever presented to the committee. And that's just a complete and utter joke. It just is it's insulting. It insults every school that is not inside the Power Five. You know, I mean, yes, Cincinnati is higher than any Group of Five team in playoff history. You know, you got to look back at, at UCF, right? They were undefeated in 2017 and 2018, and they didn't come close to the top four. They didn't come close to the top four. And, you know, the pitch at the time was... Or, or the reason for that was, oh, their non-conference schedule, if it was a little bit better, you never know. They got to do a little bit more non-conference. But, you know, I even look back at, like, 2016 Houston. You know, Houston beat Oklahoma, right, to start the year. A lot of people don't remember that, but Houston beat Oklahoma to open the year in 2016. 
But then during conference play, the Cougars stumbled and they got eliminated, right? You can't lose a game, especially in conference, the way they lost it, if you want to be in consideration for the playoff. You know, so, so there have been teams that have been close or that have been inside the conversation. UCF, Houston, Cincinnati recently. And Cincinnati has a good schedule. You know, it has a great, a great win against Notre Dame on the road non-conference. And, and you could make the argument that Cincinnati's win on the road at Notre Dame is more impressive than Houston's win over Oklahoma, which was played uh, at a neutral site. That, that Houston-Oklahoma game in 2016 was a neutral site game. Cincinnati went to Notre Dame and beat the Irish in South Bend. That is as impressive as what Oregon did in the horseshoe. Not quite, but it's close. It's very, very close. It's probably the second best non-conference win of the year. And, you know, Cincinnati also has beaten Indiana, which that's two wins over Power 5 non-conference opponents. On the road, on the road. That's exactly what the committee has been asking of them. That's exactly what we were told the parameters were. And and Cincinnati, it's not their fault that Indiana has not met expectations. We expected Indiana to be a pretty competitive team in the Big Ten after the year they had previously, right? Michael Penix is back, and you think, okay, maybe some of that mojo continues. The Hoosiers have not lived up to the, to the hype. But when you compare what Cincinnati's done... We just listed all of it off. And then you look at Ohio State, who's sitting above them at five. They don't have a marquee non-conference win. The Buckeyes, yes, they play Power 5 teams. They're in a Power 5 conference. But Ohio State does not have any good non-conference wins. It's just, it's just not there. I mean, they lost to Oregon at home. They, they beat... Tulsa, you know, 41 to 20. They whip Akron 59 to 7. Whoop-de-doo. And that's, that's it for the Buckeyes. I mean, there's 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 nothing else there that offers any sort of substance for why Ohio State should be fifth in these rankings. It just it just defies the logic that we're supposed to be using for the college football playoff, right? That was that was what we were told mattered. And instead, we're seeing teams be placed based off of their, their you know, their name, their name, image and likeness. <laughs> That's what we're seeing. We're seeing name, image and likeness take precedent. You know, the only win Ohio State really has is the Penn State win, right? That's their only ranked win this season, 33-24. to 24. I mean, yeah, they've beaten Rutgers. Yeah, they've beaten Maryland. Yeah, they beat Minnesota. So what? How Cincinnati is below the Buckeyes is beyond me, unless you consider that this is all just a name, image, and likeness competition, which is essentially what it has come to amount to. And that's a shame. That is a shame because, listen, conference strength of schedule between Power 5 and Group of 5, it's always going to be skewed in favor of the Power 5. 
it's always going to be skewed in favor of the Power Five. And if stronger non-conference schedules for group of five teams, Cincinnati, right, playing Notre Dame on the road and Indiana on the road, they win both games, if that doesn't satisfy the committee, then you just need to be honest and you need to come out and say, you know what, we lied, we don't care about group of five teams, they're not getting in, they, they don't have a spot. That's what I'd rather see. <laughs> Try again, never, right? Like, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it because the goalposts keep shifting. We keep shifting what is supposed to be required to make the playoff if you're a group of five team. A power five team, it's pretty much been consistent. It's pretty it's been pretty been pretty cons- consistent. You can't say the same for the group of five teams. You know, you can't say it. I, and again, we're coming from the BCS era prior where all the group of five programs got shut out of the top two. You know, it, it, it that was a part of the pitch for the playoff. You go undefeated and the top four awaits you. The chance at a college football playoff berth awaits you. But now, you know, finishing undefeated, that, that's not enough, right? At first, that's what we were told. Finishing undefeated is not enough. Look at UCF, Okay. Not even close. So then we were told, well, you need to build some strong non-conference schedules oh, and also go undefeated. Okay, well, I mean, look, you, you know, Cincinnati is on that path. And yes, they've struggled against Navy and Tulane, and they've pulled out wins, but what? You know, you, you're going to put the Bearcats at sixth? They've checked every box. Except, you know, a couple games have been close. Well, there's there's been close games for everybody else, except for Georgia, which is why the, the Bulldogs are at one. So so let's go through the list. Let's go through the list of what you need to do if you're a group of five school. You need to have a tough non-conference schedule. Make sure all those games are on the road. Make sure everyone in your conference is good. And then make sure you blow everyone out in your really good conference. So that's, it's impossible. It's an impossible task because instead of rewarding Cincinnati with a top four spot as one of the six undefeated teams remaining, you know, we don't, we're not even going to talk about how the fact that U, UT San Antonio wasn't even in the playoff rankings. They're 16th in the AP poll. They didn't show up in the college football playoff rankings. Now, UT San Antonio is not making the playoff, but this is this type of stuff that you're like, really? You couldn't stick them in at like 24th or 25th. Like Wisconsin's 5-3. and three. Mississippi State's 5-3. and three. And Mississippi State is ranked 17th. They're 5-3. and three. How? How? You have to... You, you can't... You know, the, the, where, where, where people get frustrated is when they look at these rankings and recognize ultimately these rankings are a reflection of... This is how hard we think it is to play in this conference, right? Your Mississippi State, oh, you play in the SEC. It's so much more difficult, which, yeah, the teams are more competitive, right? I mean, it is a deep conference, but if you lose the game, you lose the game. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't care, you know, how good the other opponent was. You lost the game. UT San Antonio has won all their games. They've done as much as they can do. They can't do anything else besides win the games that they have scheduled, and yet they don't get any sort of recognition for that. And that's where a lot of people take issue. It's not just me. 
It's not just me. There's a lot of people that were, I, I think, not even disappointed in this initial college football playoff ranking that came out, but just shocked, shocked and disgusted at the treatment of Cincinnati and where a lot of these teams were positioned. Because again, you know, instead of Cincinnati having a top four spot, the committee opted to reward two one-loss teams in Alabama and Oregon. An Alabama team that lost to an unranked Texas A&M team and an Oregon team that lost to an unranked Stanford team. You know, where, where explain that to me. Explain that to me. So, I, I, I'm not sure what the committee's going to do moving forward uh, and how they're going to alter the rankings. I mean, you know, for the most part, it's easier to predict. Once the initial rankings come out, they say they do a clean slate every week, but it's very easy to predict where teams will move depending on their performance from that week or, you know, a loss, a win, big game, whatever. It's pretty easy to figure out where teams will end up. You know, do they try some sort of course correction here? Are, are we going to get a completely new-looking top 10 next week? It's it's tough to say. It really is tough to say. Uh, I think, you know, obviously Georgia will be stationary at 1. The fact that Alabama is at 2 is, it's, I mean, that's, that's SEC bias if I've ever seen it, right? That is the definition. And this is coming from someone who roots for a team in the SEC who is, you know, an SEC fan, like that is SEC bias. To have Alabama at two after they lost to unranked Texas A&M and struggled against Florida, who has looked really bad these last few weeks. Like, what, what, what is that? What is that to have the Alabama Crimson Tide at two? These rankings are whack. I mean, they're just a, they're just a joke. I don't know what happened in in Grapevine, Texas, where they had this little meeting, but I hope that they get things figured out for for next week. I mean, again, Alabama, right? Like, I mean, we've just been going up the list, right? We might as well stop with Alabama. I have no complaints about Georgia. Alabama's best non-conference win is over 4-4 four and four Miami. So what that shows is if you have an SEC strength of schedule, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. When it comes to the evaluation of schools, from the SEC, all that matters is your the fact that you play in the SEC. That's it. Oh, you lost? Oh, that's fine. And that's going to set up Alabama to potentially still make the playoff if they don't win the SEC. Right? Like, that is a possibility that, that we may see if Georgia were to beat Alabama in Atlanta in December. So, you know, time will tell where things end up. And this has been a long conversation, but th- this was just so, I mean, I, I was I was paying attention to, to the rankings on Tuesday night, but I wasn't like engrossed in it. I was like, oh, you know, I have a feeling where, where teams will be. This was a complete out of left field top 10, really. I mean, you know, it, the, the teams in like the six, seven, eight rate, that, that's, that's about what I was thinking. Wake Forest is too low. Cincinnati is way too low. Alabama is too high. I like where Oregon and Ohio State are, but if it but if it was me again, I think I'd have to to give 
you know, the Bearcats, the Demon Deacons, some more credit. Oklahoma at eight is low. They haven't looked very good, but gosh, to have Oklahoma and Wake Forest below four one-loss teams. Yeah, I don't know if the committee thought that we would applaud them for the bravery of ignoring the fact that teams had a loss and that, you know, I'm not sure what the thought process was there. I, I I don't know because now for Cincinnati, you know, the fact is number six, like that six spot might be their ceiling because, you know, if, if the Bearcats finish undefeated as it stands right now, there's still going to be a couple of one or two lost teams that will get in ahead of them. They're going to find a way to get ahead of the Bearcats. You know, that, that, they're not going to have a better win the rest of the season than Notre Dame on the road. You know, I mean, wins over SMU and their conference championship game matchup, whoever that may be, that is not going to compare against the matchups that these other playoff caliber teams are playing and teams that are ranked in, you know, the top four or just out. So, I... I who knows at this point what the the future will hold for the Bearcats? Uh, they have, you know, sent a loud and clear message to all of us that they don't value Group of Five teams. They don't respect Group of Five teams. And Cincinnati's best move is to do exactly what they announced earlier this year and leave the American to join the Big Twelve because this is just uh, uh, extremely disappointing and just insulting ranking that we're seeing here uh and and really again there's issues across the board right there's there's a lot of there's a lot of teams that are either too high or too low and having Alabama at two is not even the most controversial thing right like that's that's the crazy part is you know there's so many different teams that rightly have a gripe with this you know with this with these rankings so I don't I don't know what Cincinnati can do at this point sitting there at six uh, they have to hope that, obviously, Oregon would lose another game. That would eliminate the Pac-12. Uh, you know, Ohio State, Michigan State, they're going to have to trade games. Uh, Alabama's going to have to lose to Georgia. Like, I mean, there's a whole laundry list of, of items now that have to happen for the Bearcats in order to make the playoff. So we'll we'll see how things uh, we'll see how things shake up second week. I don't know. I, I will certainly be paying more attention to the rankings this coming week, and we'll see what sort of adjustments and shifts they make uh, after this slate of games coming this weekend. Okay, we'll take a break. We're going to come back and discuss Gary Patterson. He is out at TCU, effective immediately. We'll talk about his replacement and his legacy next. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, I'm Jay Smith, and you are listening to After further review and appreciate you tuning in however you may be whether you're listening to AFR as a podcast again it's available anywhere you listen to podcasts on iTunes Spotify all sorts of different podcast platforms or if you're watching on Facebook do appreciate it as always second topic of today's AFR obviously the news Gary Patterson is out uh, at TCU effective immediately Jerry Kill will be the interim coach for the remainder of the season, and he is taking over uh, what he called, quote, the house 
that Gary built. Now, this change was announced uh, late Sunday afternoon. Uh, Patterson did depart immediately, and he, he's led this football program since 2000, right? He has been at TCU for a very long time. He's actually, at uh, the time of him leaving, I think he was the second longest tenured coach in the, the FBS. I mean, he's been around the block for a long, long time. So Gary Patterson certainly has a legacy at, at TCU. And, uh, you know, even Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley had some things to say uh, about his firing. We'll, we'll get into all that. But, you know, again, uh, for, for TCU, they obviously since 2018 have, have, have really struggled uh, they're 3-5 and five this season. But you look at Gary Patterson, you look at what this guy has accomplished You know, while he was at TCU. He, he built this program. He built this program in a way similar to what Steve Spurrier did at Florida, to what Bobby Bowden did at Florida State, to what Frank Beamer did at Virginia Tech. I mean, this guy, he put TCU on the map. Now, TCU... They don't have the same accolades and 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 all the awards and everything and recognition that some of the other programs I just listed have, right? Like no national championships or anything like that. But they were a competitive team for most of his tenure, right? Their total record with Gary Patterson at the helm was 181 and 79, six conference titles in three, three different leagues, six AP top 10 finishes. Uh, again, you know, very successful uh, coach, not just by TCU standards, but by college football standards. I mean, that this is a guy that, that did a lot for innovating on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, he's 61 years old. And um, obviously, I, I, have, I have a feeling he's going to want to coach again. Whether or not it's the college level, the NFL level, some reports I have seen indicate he would only consider a move to the NFL. So that not really sure if that'll come to fruition or not. But again, you know, Gary Patterson has been around uh, at TCU for a long, long time, and uh, he certainly has a huge impact on the Horn Frogs. Now, TCU athletic director. Jeremiah uh, Donati, he, he did say, speaking about this on Tuesday, that this change was made immediately and not at the end of the season because of the recruiting calendar and a desire to hire his replacement before that December signing period. He says the school handled the transition, quote, very fairly. Again, Lincoln Riley, the Oklahoma Sooners head coach, had some things, comments to say about that. Um, now Patterson was given the option to finish the season out, similar to what we're seeing at LSU with Coach O. But you know, I, I, I for whatever reason, not sure. I haven't seen anything specifically. Patterson declined and decided that he was going to to leave uh, immediately. And again, you know, it's he's Gary Patterson's one of the the best minds in college football today. I mean, he, he may not have the same recognition and status that some other coaches have, but uh, Patterson has accomplished a ton 
while he's been in charge of the Horned Frogs. But getting to getting to Lincoln Riley's comments about uh, the, the the firing of uh, of Gary Patterson, and you also have to um, rope in Matt Wells, who was coaching at Texas Tech until he was let go on October 25th, despite a 5-3 and three record, right? Despite a winning record, you know, the AD for Texas Tech, Kirby Hoka, he came out and said the change was, quote, inevitable by season's end, so possible um, infighting going on between the coach and the athletic administration. You know, it's, it's just hard to, to say what was going on with relates to Texas Tech. Now, you know, for... For Gary Patterson and TCU, Lincoln Riley, you know, he he just went on to say that, you know, to see coaches like that, guys like that, right, and Patterson and and Wells out in the midseason, uh, one with a winning record and one you know, who's undoubtedly the greatest coach in the history of the school, he just didn't really know what to think of it. And those were direct quotes from Lincoln Riley, just that uh, he was, quote, sick when he heard the news. Uh, he knows it's a tough business and, you know, big boys can live with big decisions and all that. But um, what he did at that place and to not even finish out the year, uh, I don't know, end quote. So, you know, again, obviously Lincoln Riley doesn't feel like it was the appropriate time to be making that decision. And, and as we talked about a little bit earlier, right, Gary Patterson, he was 181-79 at TCU. He's the second longest tenured active head coach in the FBS, trailing only Iowa's Kirk Ferentz, who took over in 1999. And TCU had had some success, right? Especially uh, in the late 2000s, you know, mid-2010s, right? From 2007 to 2017, the Horned Frogs were 51-27. and But as we talked about, since 2018, it's been a little bit bumpy, right? 21-22 and overall since 2018. So... You know, that recent uh, bumps in the road, those recent bumps in the road are likely what caused this decision to be made. Um, But, you know, and and Lincoln Riley talked about this a little bit later on. He was saying, you know, I'm not so sure that dropping a coach in the middle of the season, you know, it's it's one signing class compared to a long-term decision on a coach. And, you know, he didn't feel like the, the... rush on a mid-season coaching change is the correct call. You know, it's, he said it's not good for our game, not good for our league. And, you know, he hopes that, that we can find a better solution uh, because he's worried that it might become a trend. Uh, now, again, LSU Coach O, right, he's leaving at the end of the year. So it's, it's you know, it kind of might fluctuate depending on the conference. One thing is, though, is what we'll probably see is everyone scared that they're going to miss out on who they want to hire, right? So they want to hire somebody. They've got a list, a short list of guys, and they want to get the current guy out because it's just like lame duck, right? Get him out of there so we can bring in the guy that we want to bring in. Uh, But, you know, we'll have to see if that becomes a trend across college football. Uh, You know, again... USC, right, they fired Clay Helton earlier this season. LSU announced Coach O's not returning in 2022. Those schools are still looking for their candidates. 
but you know, I, I don't know what what will happen with the TCU job. Uh, there have been some rumors that that Sonny Dykes for the SMU coach, uh, he's got his Mustang seven and one. Uh, he may become the, um, the the next head coach at TCU. He was actually an analyst for one season under Patterson in 2017. So, you know, he has some ties, and, and TCU has said publicly they're looking for a coach with strong Texas ties. Sonny Dykes fits that description. But then also, UT San Antonio, a team we talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast. Jeff Trailer, he's a successful Texas high school football coach, and, you know, he's a prime candidate, I'd say, for both of those schools. He's he just signed a $28 million extension with the Roadrunners through 2031 that has a $7.5 million buyout. So he may be reluctant to leave UT San Antonio, but we'll have to see how uh, TCU and Texas Tech handle their, their head coaching search. Uh, but one of the things that Jerry Kill said was that he was going to try and uphold Gary Patterson's legacy. Again, we talked about the top of the segment. He, he called... Um, you know, TCU, quote, the house that Gary built. Uh, and, you know, he's tried to keep the same schedule. Uh, like he had, there was a, a comment he had in one of the press conferences about how uh, Sunday night the team had practice and obviously Patterson had been let go. And Kill said, we're going we're gonna to keep that, you know, Saturday, you know, that practice, that Sunday night practice. Um, he, he said that Gary said, we're going to practice at 530. And I was coaching the team at 530. You know, we were... We were there practicing, and I feel like the kids respect me, and been I've been around here uh, long enough, and we've got a good game plan, and we'll work um, on things and, and get after it. So, you know, he went on to say, no one's going to be the next Gary Patterson. I don't claim to be Gary Patterson. There's only one of them, and there will never be another one. So it's very obvious that Jerry Hill, Jerry Kill, excuse me, Jerry Kill has tremendous respect for Gary Patterson and what he did while he was head coach of the TCU uh, Horned Frogs. And, you know, Lincoln Riley, right, a very successful coach in that conference at Oklahoma, um, made some comments and talked about how maybe, you know, they need to look, college football as a whole needs to look at something about drawing hard lines on when firings can happen, when they can't. You know, he, he personally felt like Gary Patterson was disrespected by the institution and not having the uh, not being able to finish a season at a place that he built um, he just you know it didn't sit well with him so we'll have to see if this this becomes a trend across college football again it's a tough business being a big time college football coach but at the end of the day you got to win games to keep people happy and as we'll discuss in the next segment right that sort of leads us into the next segment, which we'll get to in a, in a bit, but the Florida, right? Dan Mullen, you know, he his seat has gotten warm these past few weeks after their performance, and even going a little bit further back than that. We'll, we'll get into those stats a little bit later. But, yeah, for, for TCU, it's sort of remains to be seen where they go from here and what the direction of the program looks like, but we'll keep an eye on it and see what's next for the Horned Frogs. Okay, we got one last break. We'll come back and we'll be talking about the Florida Gators. What has happened down in the swamp? Dan Mullen's seat getting warm. Florida not performing well these last few weeks. 
We'll break that down and talk it over next. Welcome back to AFR, last segment of this episode. We'll wrap up the show with a little Florida Gators convo. And look, Florida has struggled. They have struggled the last couple of weeks. Back-to-back losses against Georgia where they were a non-factor, right? Getting just throttled at home 34-7. to Some people thought that the Gators may compete in that game after giving Alabama a hard time at home earlier in the year. But let's be honest, the Florida that was playing against Alabama back in Week 3 is not the same Florida that we're looking at now heading into uh, Week 10. So, you know, what's happened Right, that's that's what we're going to talk about. What has happened at Florida? What has happened in the Gators for the Gators in the swamp? They're they're sort of stuck in the mud. <laughs> they're they're uh, you know from where they were last year to where they are now has been a probably a very humbling experience for the Gator faithful. Uh, you know, you look at how they have performed. The last 10, 11 games, right? You look at the record. Florida is 4 and 7 in their past 11 games. And the offense has become pretty average. The defense continues to disappoint. Dan Mullen was an offensive guy at Mississippi State. He wasn't known for stout defenses. And, you know, his recruiting and his decisions in recruiting have sort of reflected that. You know, he has stood by a you know a longtime backup quarterback for probably too long. He didn't move on fast enough from a struggling defensive coordinator. And it sort of feels like this tug of war between Dan Mullen and what the Florida Gators need to do to improve. Uh, certainly, Mullen is considered one of the best offensive minds in college football. His ability to you know, work with what he's given and adapt personnel year after year is what makes him a great offensive coach. And that's not just me saying that. That's a direct quote from Nick Saban. So the guy can coach on offense. You know, He's got quarterbacks like Alex Smith, Dak Prescott, and Kyle Trask who each had different strengths and weaknesses, but all of them ended up being NFL draft picks under the tutelage of Dan Mullen. And that trio of quarterbacks, they weren't heavily recruited out of high school. So Mullins, you know, one of his big achievements across his, you know, throughout his career has been the ability to do more with less, right? In 2009, he took over a Mississippi State program that had gone 32-65 and 65 in the eight seasons before he arrived. And he ended up taking that program to eight straight bowl games despite having a recruiting class that was always at the bottom in the SEC, always near the bottom. You know, sure, he eventually was able to pull a few four- and five-star guys, right, like Jeffrey Simmons or Chris Jones, but Mullen was also pulling guys like two-star linebacker, you know, Benaric McKinney, or three-star defensive lineman Preston Smith, and turning those guys into pros. And all of a sudden... A lower-tier program like Mississippi State, it was moving the needle towards a you know, sort of respectability. And then, 
He's going to a, a school in Florida that has been a powerhouse since the day of Steve Spurrier, since that era. You know, right, they've had Spurrier, they've had Urban Meyer, and now they're hoping that Dan Mullen can add to that legacy. And from 2019 to 2021, Dan Mullen pulled in three consecutive top 10 recruiting classes. However, each of those years, Florida finished behind Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M. So, Florida and Dan Mullen, while they have had success and you know they've had their shining moments in the spotlight, it's hard to ignore the, the dizzying turn of events. I mean this is this has been a a pretty bleak season for the Florida Gators. I mean four and four, with losses to Alabama, Kentucky, LSU, and Georgia. Now, two of those losses are forgivable. The Alabama loss at home was close, hard-fought game. Georgia is Georgia national championship favorite. But the Kentucky game and the LSU game on the road are hard to swallow. And and it's 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 worth noting. It is worth noting that Florida, they're Three losses to everyone that's not named Georgia, right? So they're lost to Alabama, Kentucky, and LSU were all one-possession games. It was a two-point deficit to Alabama, a seven-point deficit to Kentucky, and a three-point deficit to LSU. So the Gators have been close. They've been close. But that's sort of the mantra, right, that we've been talking about while Dan Mullen's been in Gainesville. They're close, but they're not quite there. They're not quite there. And many people are beginning to ask, when? When are we going to get there, Dan Mullen? You know, what, what's it going to take for us to get over the hump, metaphorically, right? Like, you've got to, you've got to win an SEC championship. You've got to make a college football playoff. And, yes, the Alabama game was a setback in Week 3, but they came out and played well against Tennessee the following week, and a lot of people thought, okay, if they can get up to that Georgia game with only a single loss, it could be a huge opportunity to dethrone a national championship favorite and boost the Gators up into the spotlight, right? Because that's a neutral site game. That's a game they play in Jacksonville every year. And they never competed. They never competed in this game against Georgia. It was a slaughter, 34-7. to Yeah, it was a little hard fault in the beginning, and it took Georgia a while to get going, but once the Bulldogs started scoring, Florida didn't score, right? Like, that's the you know the, the one common denominator in all the Georgia games this year is that none of the other teams can score. Like, 14, right? That's the most that, that Georgia has allowed all, all season long uh, in, in points. I think it's, is it 14 or 13? I think it's, uh, I think it's, no, it's 13. It is 13. It was South Carolina and Kentucky. That's right, because Kentucky had the opportunity to score 14 as time expired, and they had their extra point blocked. So 13 points. That's it. That's that's the most that anyone scored on the Bulldogs all year long. And guess what? Look at who's left on their schedule. Mizzou, Tennessee, 
Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech. Ain't nobody scoring 13 points. None of those teams are. Could see Alabama do it in the SEC championship game, but we very we very well may see a Georgia Bulldog team not give up more than 20 points all season. It is possible. I think it's possible. I think it's totally possible for Georgia to win the national championship and go 15-0 and not allow more than 20 points all year. Keep everybody in the teens or below. And only two teams have even hit the teens. And they've hit 13. The, the first teen number. It's insane. It's absolutely bonkers. And they've played good teams too. Or teams that we thought were good at the time of the game, right? Like Clemson. Thought they were good. They scored three points. Arkansas. We, I knew that they were overranked, but they were still ranked eighth. They didn't score. Auburn was at home and could only score 10. They got beat by 24. 24. Kentucky scored 13. And Florida has scored seven. That's five ranked opponents. Five ranked opponents against the Bulldogs. So, you know, for, for Florida, that's where they want to be. They, they want to be the dominant Georgia Bulldogs team or the dominant SEC East team. What Georgia has this year that Florida doesn't is a dominant defense. And that's something that Florida has been missing, and that's something that Dan Mullen teams have been missing. It's, again, not something that Dan Mullen is known for. But, again, ignoring the outcome of the Florida-Georgia game on Saturday, it's, it's really the fact that this team in you know, the last 11 games, they're 4-7. and seven. The, the offense is slipping in terms of points per game, yards per game, almost, almost every statistical category for Florida – on offense, it's slipping, and the defense is not playing up to expectations. So what is it going to take? What is it going to take for Florida to rebound? I think right now the Gators, you know, we, we talked about the recruiting and the recruiting classes and all, but again, as we've illustrated through many examples, Dan Mullen can do a lot with a little. He has done more with less his entire coaching career. If you can go to a place like Mississippi State and turn them into top four team at one point, like with Dak Prescott and his development and his his uh, you know performance in the NFL, like clearly you're talented. Clearly you're talented. You're an offensive genius with how you're able to adapt your scheme to the personnel that you're given. Defensively. Yeah, you may need to go out and spend a few million bucks a year on a quality coordinator. But I think for Florida, you know, again, a lot of their a lot of their issues are inconsistent play on offense and also inconsistent decisions made by the head coach. Right? We talked about how he sort of hung on to the backup quarterback for a little bit too long, didn't let that defensive coordinator go, you know, there, there have been some decisions that Dan Mullen has made and some that he haven't made, and you could argue that it's the decisions he hasn't made that have caused the most damage in Gainesville. So I think for Florida, you got to think the rest of this season 
it looks pretty favorable, right? South Carolina, Sanford, Mizzou, and Florida State. Those three teams, excuse me, those four teams suck. I don't really count Sanford, but they're there. Uh, But South Carolina's terrible. Mizzou's terrible. Those are the worst teams in the SEC. And Florida State is pretty bad. So, realistically, Florida should finish the year 8-4. and four. They should rebound. We'll call that quotes there. Rebound. And they're going to finish 8-4. and four. They're going to get into a good bowl game. And they're going to need to use that bowl game as an opportunity to build a foundation for next year. I think if you're the Gators, you accept the fact that you're 500 right now. It's not where you want to be, clearly. But you, you realistically will finish the season with at least eight wins. This Gator team should not finish any worse than seven and five in the regular season. Now, if they go six and six, we got issues. If Florida finds a way to lose on the road to South Carolina, who they don't even play offense in Columbia, like they're terrible, or they find a way to lose to Mizzou on the road, the other Columbia in the SEC, or even Florida State, that will start to open the door to some serious criticism directed towards Dan Mullen. I think right now Mullen is fine if he's able to get through the rest of this schedule, finish 8-4, and four, play in a bowl game, get some of that respectability back, work on the recruiting in the offseason, build guys up, you know, and go into next year. But again, the fan base didn't hire Dan Mullen for eight win seasons. Florida wants an SEC championship, they want a college football playoff berth, and they want consistency. And that's something that they haven't had while Dan Mullen has been in Gainesville. We'll see if he's able to get things turned around. It's not. It's It's been a little bit bumpier than what we've seen at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher. I think it's, a, it's sort of a comparison you can make because the expectation when Jimbo, right, the $9 million man, he's getting $9 million a year, was that he was going to be... Mr. College Football Playoff and College Station. And that hasn't really panned out. AM 6-2 on the season, 14th in the rankings. They have a big win against Alabama, but they're not where they want to be. They're not where the fan base, where the alums, where you know the administration want to be. And Jimbo finally got his breakout win this season against Alabama. He's been trying for years. He finally got the opportunity to have a big win this year. And so he needs to do something with it. He needs to use that to propel his program forward and build positive momentum. Florida's not going to have that opportunity until the postseason, right? We've been through their schedule. There's no one left that's interesting. There's no one left that gives them an opportunity to make a statement. It's South Carolina, Sanford, Mizzou, and Florida State. You could, you could fall asleep, and you should still win all those games by three scores. So the Gators will need to do something in the bowl game, and they'll need to get their mind set right for next season if they want to you know, eventually compete for an SEC East title. Because you got to think, right? Like Georgia, they may drop off a little bit, but hey— Kentucky and Tennessee have actually made resurgencies these past few years. Like, Kentucky has been a solid team for the last few years. They're 6-2 and two this year. Tennessee is sort of climbed out of the 
hole, the bottom barrel that they were in, and they're sort of respectable now. They're four and four overall. But again, the SEC East is by far weaker than the SEC West. I mean, you know, you've only you've only got you have no teams below five hundred in the West. You have one team, LSU, that's four and four. You have four four and four teams in the East. Tennessee, Florida, Mizzou, and South Carolina. And then Vanderbilt is down there at the very bottom. They're two and seven. They they hardly even count as an SEC team. That's why earlier when I said South Carolina and Mizzou were the worst in the SEC, that SEC teams that actually like look like SEC teams. Like Vanderbilt's that's like a bye week. That's that's not even hardly a game for any of those SEC schools. For even group of five schools. Uh, so Florida certainly they have to pay attention because while Georgia may fall off a little bit, Kentucky and Tennessee may take that place. And if Florida's not careful, they'll find themselves continuing to sort of muddle through and be middle of the pack. And there are not going to be many Gators fans who will be happy being fourth in the SEC East at four and four. Like that isn't going to satisfy or pacify many people. So we'll see how things go for Dan Mullen. I'm pretty optimistic that the rest of the year will trend favorably for him. Again, the schedule is very light. You got to think they'll make a bowl game. If they take advantage of that opportunity, get the win, get nine wins on the year. They finish nine and four. It's not a great year, but it's not a bad year for the Gators. But that's it. That's all the time we got for this episode of After Further Review. Again, we will definitely have an episode for you next Monday recapping all the big games from this weekend of college football. Briefly, let's go over a few that you'll want to tune into uh, you've you've got you got a few that you could pick between. Honestly, there's not a lot of ranked on ranked matchups. You have Auburn at Texas A&M. That should be a pretty interesting game to watch. Uh, but other than that, and I'm scrolling through here, that is it. That's the only ranked versus ranked matchup. So it's a little bit of a, a lighter week. Um, but there's some intriguing games. Liberty. Playing at Old Miss, that should be entertaining. Hugh Freeze traveling to Oxford to take on his old team. Uh, let's see, Wake Forest is playing at North Carolina. Could be a tricky game for the Demon Deacons. Um, Baylor taking on TCU on the road. Um, other than that, it's a pretty light week for the ranked teams. We'll tune in to the Iowa-Northwestern game to see if the Hawkeyes can rebound at all or if they just continue to free fall. And then, obviously, LSU will be playing at Alabama. Uh, that's typically a big rivalry game. I don't expect it to be close or interesting, but it is there if you want to tune in to that game as well. Uh, but that's it. That's pretty much it uh, in terms of games this week that you might want to watch. You know, it's... It's kind of a lighter week as we get about two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through the season, and uh, we'll probably not see a ton of fluctuation in the college football playoff polls for next week unless they realize the errors that they made and try and do a little bit of course correcting. We'll have to see. We will definitely have a show to break all that down. Uh, The second show of next week will be the college football playoff reaction show, but Enjoy your weekend of college football. We'll see you back here on Monday. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jay Smith, and this has been After Further Review.